All right, turn to Daniel chapter 5. If you've been here going through the uh, series, um, it's one chapter after the next of crisis, either a crisis of obedience, a crisis of faith, and God coming through. And um, the last chapter ends, it's, it's, it's Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. And oddly enough, there are people that really think that Nebuchadnezzar was not a follower of Jehovah at the end of his life. And I tell you, I absolutely think that is bunk because how he ends it, he comes back to the throne after seven years of being insane, he comes back to the throne and he says, all my power was given back to me, all my glory was given back to me, and he says, after all of that, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, in the last verse, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of heaven because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. That is how he ends his life. He lives about a year um, historians uh, have got it figured out he lived about a year after he regained his sanity. So he really wasn't on the throne that long. And we jump to Daniel chapter 5. And it looks like as we're reading it, like, you know, the next day, King Belshazzar, no, it's 23 years later. So keep that in mind, and we're going to talk about some of the historical context. I've titled my sermon, Even Though You Knew All This, A Tale of Two Men. So let's read chapter 5. I'll read and you can just follow along. King Belshazzar held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine in their presence. Under the influence of the wine, Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels that his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. By the way, if your Bible reads that his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken, that word father is a word in, in, uh, in Hebrew meaning uh, ancestor. It can be son, it can be father, it can be... Um, but it's basically like a descendant in the lineage of. And we'll get to that later. So that the kings and his nobles, wives, and concubines could drink from them. So they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, wives, and concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised their gods made of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. At that moment... The fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall next to the lampstand. As the king watched the hand that was writing, his face turned pale and his thoughts so terrified him that his hip joints shook and his knees knocked together. The king called out to bring in the mediums, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this inscription and gives me its interpretation will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around his neck and have the third highest position in the kingdom. So all the king's wise men came in, but none could read the inscription or make its interpretation known to him. Then King Belshazzar became even more terrified. His face turned pale and his nobles were bewildered. Because of the outcry of the king and his nobles, the queen came to the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't let your thoughts terrify you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom who in the days of your predecessor I'm sorry, who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the days of your predecessor, he was found to have insight, intelligence, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods. Your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the diviners, mediums, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Your own predecessor, the king, she's emphasizing the point, did this because Daniel, the one the king named Belteshazzar, was found to have an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and perception, and the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems. Therefore, summon Daniel, and he'll give you the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought before the king. The king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the Judean exiles that my predecessor the king brought from Judah? 
I've heard that you have the spirit of the gods in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and extraordinary wisdom. Now the wise men and mediums were brought before me to read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me, but they could not give its interpretation. However, I've heard about you, that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Therefore, if you can read this inscription and give me its interpretation, you will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around your neck, and have the third highest position in the kingdom. And then Daniel answered the king, you can keep your gifts. Give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription for the king and make the interpretation known to him. Your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty, greatness, glory, and majesty to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. Because of the greatness he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages were terrified and fearful of him. He killed anyone he wanted and kept alive anyone he wanted. He exalted anyone he wanted and he humbled anyone he wanted. But when his heart was exalted and his spirit became arrogant, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven away from people. His mind was like an animal's. He lived with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until he acknowledged that the Most High God is ruler over the kingdom of men and sets anyone he wants to over it. And here's where I get the, the title for it. But you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. The vessels from his house were brought to you, and as you and your nobles, wives, and concubines drank wine from them, you praised the gods made of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. But you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life. Therefore, he sent the hand, and this writing was inscribed. This is the writing that was inscribed, Mini, Mini, Tikal, Parson. This is the interpretation of the message. Mini means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tikel means that you have been weighed in the balance and found deficient. Peris, which is the singular version of Parson, means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave an order, and they clothed Daniel in purple, placed a gold chain around his neck, and issued a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom at age 32, 62. All right, so um, we read this, we hear the story. We've, most of us who grew up in church have heard the story our whole lives, and we accept it at face value. But I want to tell you a few things. This, actual, this chapter, for years, was the chapter that made Daniel not believable. In the early 1800s, the historical critics would go back and look at, the, look at the different books in the Bible and try to determine in their learned and glorious estate whether or not they were true or not. And Daniel came under scrutiny pretty quickly because of this particular chapter. There is no such person as Belshazzar in history. Nabonidus was the last king, and it's clear from all the records that we have that when um, Cyrus the Great came in and took over Babylon, Nabonidus was the king of the Babylonian Empire. Clearly, this chapter is made up. And so they placed it years and years later in the time of the Maccabees, they said written about 165 B.C., which would have been about 400 years after this particular story took place. Now, the problem is um, Jesus refers to Daniel as a historical person. He says, quoting the prophet Daniel, that they're talking about the abomination of desolation in Matthew and in Mark. He quotes him twice. And Jesus seems to think that he was historical and speaking when he said he was speaking. So if you're going to disagree with Jesus, you might have some other issues that you need to take up. 
But in this particular sequence, I want to talk to you about what has happened since those guys first started saying that Daniel back in the 1840s was wrong. In 1854, I love archaeology. In 1854, they found in the city of Ur four clay cylinders written in cuneiform with a prayer on it that said it was Nabonidus, a prayer to the, to the moon god, basically asking the moon god to protect him and to ensure that his oldest, his firstborn son, Belshazzar, would be protected and would be a good leader. Wait a minute, Belshazzar's not supposed to exist. And that's in 1854. Suddenly, all the learned men who have completely deposed Daniel from his throne of being an authoritative book in the Old Testament are having to sit back and say, wait a minute, that was based on the fact that Belshazzar didn't exist. Now Nabonidus is saying that this is his oldest son. He is co-regent. Maybe we better rethink this. All right, but that wasn't the end of the story. That was the first reference. Then in 1882, a, uh, another clay tablet, a chronicle, that called the Nabonidus Chronicle, was, was translated out of whatever Persian or cuneiform, whatever it was written in. Lo and behold, in there it's discovered that Nabonidus leaves his son Belshazzar in charge of Babylon as co-regent while he goes off to Ur of the Chaldees to fight some wars and to seek the uh, advice of the moon god down there. And for 10 years, Nabonidus was gone. They investigate a little further. In 1924, kind of the same thing. And uh, the same thing. So they keep getting these. And there's been like 37 different texts now that have validated that Belshazzar was not only existing, but was co-regent of Babylon during this time. And that Nabonidus was out of town when the Persians, the Medes and Persians came in. Nabonidus lived, we know that. And so they said, well, clearly in here, I mean, he's, whoever's king, he dies, and that's not true. Every time they dig up something, these old clay tablets, it verifies what's going on in here. So I wanted to, I wanted to share that because that was, there were so many different things in here, I just didn't know which way to go, but um, Belshazzar was a real person, and the people who say it's not true are speaking from the perspective that they don't want it to be true. Because I was online Googling um, Belshazzar, and there's still people who say, oh, well, it's really not true because he just made it up and there's details in there. No, the details all match. When they dug up the palace in Babylon, there was a, a tiny little detail in here that you would not put in a story if you didn't know. It says in verse 5, at the moment, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace walls. Why would you say that? Why would you say it wrote on the plaster? When they dug up the palace, guess what they found? The palace walls are coated with white gypsum plaster. Um, the thing that was confusing people for years was why did Belshazzar, if it's true, or why, if, it's, if, it's, if it's true, why did he say that he would make Daniel the third highest ruler in the kingdom? Well, it's real simple, because he was co-regent. His dad was the highest. He was second. So he could only make Daniel third highest. The details always fit. And so I'm telling, you that I'm, I'm telling you all that because I was excited. You know, we live in a time when everybody in our world is dismissive of, this, of the scriptures. Um, whether it's the media, half the church anymore seems like doesn't believe that the scriptures are true. 
And if you want to do that, go do it. But, but I wanted to share that with you because there are, there are questions that come up in my life. There are things that you could ask me, well, if you believe this, and for instance, I believe that creation was roughly 6,000 years ago. Well, how can you explain the long ages of the light coming from the stars? I can't. But you know what? They couldn't explain Belshazzar in 1853, but in 1854 they could. So I don't know what's around the corner. I'm just saying if you're in a quandary like that, hang on. Believe this over them because they're generally wrong. All right, now, having got that out of the way, two men, Belshazzar and Daniel, are contrasted in this. And by the way, Brother George, you fit right into the package this morning because he's about the same age that Daniel was when he confronted Belshazzar. He'd have made a good Daniel probably. And one of the things that struck me in this is that you have Belshazzar who grows up. He is, there's varying accounts. It's hard to know for sure, but probably Belshazzar as a person is a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, Nidocris, um, obviously we're talking about a long time ago, but there is certainly a coherent argument for Nidocris marrying Nabonidus. And so Nabonidus would have been like the son-in-law but Belshazzar would have been blood lineage coming down. So Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of his life, comes to, if you will, comes to Christ, comes to an understanding of Jehovah as God. But Belshazzar himself, if you read in the story, is basically, I'd call him a spoiled brat. He's had everything handed to him his whole life. He's the boss dog. He can do whatever he wants. And he thinks he's important. And while this feast is going on, he actually is under siege. I don't know if, it doesn't really say it in there, but, but Cyrus, the Persian, the Medo-Persian army is actually outside of the gates of Babylon. And Belshazzar, even in spite of that, is still having this party. He's like, hey, we're tough. We can handle it. It's no big deal. And, and historically, they had 20 years supply of food inside the city, so they weren't worried about a siege. The Euphrates River flowed through the city, so they weren't worried about water. So they were, they were, they were good. And so he throws this big party, probably to get everybody, you know, sort of a rah-rah party to get everybody inspired. Oh, I know we're out, they're out there, but we're not going to worry about them. And in the middle of this party, in spite of what, and this is where Daniel's statement to him comes in later. In spite of what he knew about his grandfather, he says, I have an idea. Let's go get the gold vessels from the temple. Why would he choose the temple in Jerusalem? I really think it wasn't a sort of, hey, find whatever temple you can find and let's bring them in here. No, I think he was actually deliberately flaunting himself at God because, well, I'll explain that in a little bit, but he's in there, they're having, these, they're having this party and his... And his they're toasting the gods of gold and silver and bronze and wood and iron and stone from the, from the temple cups, those which were dedicated to the priests and those who were dedicated to the service of God. And instantly, a man's hand begins to write on the wall. Now, why? Have you ever seen an illustration of fear like is written in here? It says... His face turned pale, his thoughts so terrified him that his hip joint shook and his knees knocked together. I mean, that is one scared dude. Some of this stuff I'm going to tell you, I think, is, is me thinking about it and conjecturing. So, 
If you hear something I say, don't necessarily take what my conjecture is as truth, but just hear what I'm saying. I really think that Belshazzar thought his grandpa was nuts. There is no God of heaven. There are only the gods that we make and can see. And in the moment that he is rejoicing in that, the God who doesn't even need an entire body to write shows up with just a hand and starts writing on his wall. I think it was just a slap in his face. You, sir, have no idea what's going on. And he's scared, and he knows. He knows exactly what's going on. Now, um, Jamie, I thought about you. Because the gods that they were uh, drinking to were iron and wood. Isn't that what you carry on the golf course? I was just, I just thought I'd point that out. Maybe you need to consider this. I can say that because I don't play golf. <laughs> they let you down. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they do. So the man Belshazzar is this arrogant person who's full of himself and does not believe in the God of heaven. And in the moment when his success is at its greatest, if you will, God shows up. He doesn't even show up all the way. He just sends his hand down there to do the writing. And he begins to write. And Belshazzar knows what's going on. He knows something's up, and he's scared to death. But he can't even remember at this point that there's a guy named Daniel, which brings us to the second man, Daniel. 23 years before this, Daniel was Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand man. He was the man who talked him out of all of his problems. He was the man who introduces him to Jehovah. He's the man, I believe, that when, when Nebuchadnezzar comes back to the throne, he's got Daniel right beside him because he's the one man in his kingdom that knows Jehovah, and he's following him too. 23 years later, the king doesn't even know who Daniel is anymore. So if Daniel was 80 at that point, he would have been in his 50s. Can you imagine, can you imagine you're at the top? And by the way, there was three kings in a row, and then Nabonidus shows up. So there was like this major upheaval in the, in the royalty before Nabonidus takes over for the last 17 years. So Daniel just kind of disappears. Some people say he was retired. I think he was forgotten. When you're chasing gods that are not the God of heaven, you don't want the prophet hanging around. Is that, would that be a fair assessment? So Daniel disappears. And so for 23 years, what's he doing? He's still in Babylon. He's still close enough that when the queen mother calls for him, they can go and get him. What's he doing? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's just being faithful to Jehovah. And we find that in the next chapter when they get him in trouble with the lion's den because it says in the next chapter, in chapter 6, that after they signed that petition, that petition um, Daniel goes out and prays three times a day towards Jerusalem as he was used to doing. That's what he's been doing for 23 years, simply being faithful to God. And the queen mother comes in. She hears the uproar in the banquet hall, and she comes in and she says, Don't worry, Belshazzar. Now... As far as we know, this is her son, and you get the impression from how she talks about Daniel that she has a great deal of respect for him. My guess is she's still been, she knows who he is, she's been talking to him through the years. I don't know if she's a follower of Jehovah or not, but she certainly has a great deal of respect for Daniel. And she says, Belshazzar, there's this guy, I want you to bring him in. When, she brings, when, when Daniel comes in, Belshazzar, I don't know, maybe it's just his fear. But 
he doesn't recognize him. Maybe it's because he hasn't seen him in 23 years. And by the way, I'll, put, I'll inject this before I continue. One of the records that they found, one of these clay tablets, says that Belshazzar was in the service of the royal court under the king Neraglissar, which was the second king after Nebuchadnezzar, was the first king after Nebuchadnezzar died. And so he would have been within two years, he would have been serving in the court after his grandfather died. So he would have probably been, I, I'm just guessing on this, but he would have probably been about mid-40s when this whole thing goes down. So his mom comes in and says, bring in this guy. He's this Judean exile, but he'll tell you because he told your grandfather. And see, so she tells him about Nebuchadnezzar again. Your, your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, and she keeps going, almost like she's saying, um, much greater than you. So Daniel shows up. Now let's, now let's talk about him. And so he asks him, he says, are you Daniel? He says, I am. Look at Daniel. He says, I don't want your gifts. I don't want the things that drive your world. I don't want your gifts. I don't want your money. I don't want your position. But I'll tell you what God is saying to you. Our world is driven. Our world is driven by human desires gone crazy. Do we need money to live? Sure we do. Do we need a house to live in? Sure we do. Do we like to feel important? Yeah, we do. Do we want to be loved? Yes. What if none of those things are there? What if you are forgotten? You're bypassed for 23 years. What if you're stuck in a prison somewhere like Joseph was? And the people that were going to rescue you, and by the way, you didn't do anything wrong. The people that were going to rescue you forgot that you were there. Are you going to be faithful in that moment? So Daniel gives him a second message. The first message is the writing on the wall, and then Daniel shows up. And <laughs> This, again, conjecture. But have you ever met someone who's the son of a person who you have known and respected and loved and you've seen their integrity and their courage and the things that they have done with their life and then you meet their son or their daughter and you think, what in the world happened in the second generation? And you, you leave and you say, if I could just get a hold of that person, I'd wring his neck and I'd tell him what for. Imagine Daniel watching Nebuchadnezzar come to faith in Jehovah and then watching the upheaval in the kingdom and watching his grandson come to the throne and watching him do everything wrong for 23 years. Never pausing to ask Daniel what his opinion is. I think he might have had a few things that he would have liked to have said to him all those years. I think he comes in there and I think he is ready to let him have it. I don't think he was afraid of him hurting him. He's 80 years old. He's lived through a lot of stuff. He's going to live through a lot more stuff. And so Belshazzar says, I need you to tell me what the interpretation is. He doesn't tell him what it is, though, to begin with. Did you see what he says to start with? He's like, let me explain something to you, punk. Modern language. He says, your majesty, 
That's fairly respectful. The Most High God gave, listen, now he's describing Nebuchadnezzar, gave sovereignty and greatness and glory and majesty to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. You get the, you get the, the dig in there? Everything you have was given to you. You haven't worked for this. You're not important. You're just the boss. Because of the greatness, because of the greatness that God gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages were terrified and fearful of him. And that is a true statement. In the beginning part of, of Nebuchadnezzar's life, it was you either do it his way or uh, you stop living. He killed anyone he wanted and kept alive anyone he wanted. This is supreme authority on earth. He exalted anyone he wanted and he humbled anyone he wanted. But when his heart was exalted and his spirit became arrogant, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He doesn't say, Belshazzar, I'll tell you what it is. He says, let me give you a history lesson. You remember your grandpa? When he started out, he was like you. But he actually fought his way to the top. He was greater than you, Belshazzar. And he had so much authority that he wasn't second in command in the kingdom, Belshazzar. He was the boss. He chose if you lived or died. You reckon Daniel was thinking back to the time when he was a teenager and he asked, please, can we have beans and water instead of the king's food? Because Nebuchadnezzar would have chosen at that moment whether he lived or died. But you, to me, I see Daniel, I see a heart for Nebuchadnezzar in this. I see him loving, you know, like almost like reflecting on his father or something. It may have been because Daniel's parents would have died before he came out of, when he went into exile. He said, but when his heart was exalted, when he thought he was somebody, God said, no. I'm going to take the greatest sovereign on earth and I'm going to turn him into an animal for seven years. And in those seven years, he lived as any cow in my pasture would live. And I would not like my cow's life. I don't like living outside when it's raining or when it's really hot or when it's really cold. But that's what he did. And he's, he's reminding him, Belshazzar, and his reason he's reminding him is for a very specific reason. He gets to all of that, and it says, until he acknowledged that the Most High God is ruler of the kingdom of men and sets anyone he wants over it. But you, Belshazzar, his successor, have not humbled your heart. And, and I don't know. I don't know what Daniel was like. But if I had been Daniel, this would have how I would have done it. Even though you knew all of this, you didn't humble your heart. Right in his face. You knew better. And Belshazzar doesn't chop his head off, and he doesn't really respond to him. Daniel is laying him out. And then he says, instead, you exalted yourself against heaven. And this is where I think it was very deliberate. And you took the cups that you knew were from Jehovah's temple. And you mocked him. And in that, God said, enough. It's over for you. Now, Belshazzar, I'm going to tell you what it means. Now, when we were, uh, I read the story with my kids a couple weeks ago, and uh, Dietrich asked the question. He said, well, what do, what do those words mean? And I thought, well, that's a good point. Uh, like, he said, were they in 
their language. How, how could I be 42 years old and never have figured that out? I would, so I went looking. And sure enough, uh, the words are simple, actually. They are Aramaic. Now, Belshazzar couldn't read them, and Aramaic was the language of the kingdom. So evidently, um, it was written in another language. I almost wonder if it was written in Hebrew, where Daniel could read it, but those who were, spoke only Aramaic couldn't read it. Anyway, he says there's three words up there, four words, but there's three words. Mini, Tikel, and Parson. And it doesn't mean a whole bunch of stuff. It means numbered, weighed, and divided. Mini means numbered. And then he says, God has numbered the days of your kingdom, and it's over, buddy, because you've been found wanting. He's weighed you, and you haven't come up to par. And now he's taking your kingdom from you. He's dividing you from your kingdom. Interestingly enough, the word parson is actually the Aramaic word for Persia. So it's a double meaning. He's going to use the Persians to cut you away from your kingdom. Now keep in mind that Belshazzar does not think that his kingdom can fall because their city is impregnable. While this conversation is going on, the Persian army across the hill, out of sight of everybody, has dug a tunnel, has dug a trench away from the away from the Euphrates River and built a huge basin off to the side. Because they decided they can't go through the walls, so they'll go through the riverbed. And when the moment was right and they had everything ready, they cut through the last remaining dam that held the Euphrates in its course, and the Euphrates River changed courses. And the moment it changed courses, it dried up going into the city. And while this conversation is going on, Darius the Mede and his army are marching into the city on the river bottom. They marched right past everything, guards, gates, everything, and took the city, and, and historically they took the city without a fight. Belshazzar dies that night, but we don't know that it was maybe a skirmish or two, but they just came in and the next morning it was over. I don't know, I don't know what Belshazzar thought in that moment, but it certainly seems like he would have had a lot to think about. He immediately, um, is good to his word. He makes Daniel third ruler in the kingdom. Right before the turning of a kingdom, I don't think I'd want to be third ruler, just in case your heads get cut off as they transfer from one power source to another. Uh, but it does explain why going into the next chapter, Daniel was catapulted into authority by an entirely different group of people. They show up that night, and he is the ruler under Belshazzar. They would kind of know who he is. Um, I don't know if that's the way it is, but I think that's how... I think it could be that. So, Daniel's made third ruler. Belshazzar, true to the word of God, is overthrown that night and killed. Nabonidus, his father, is not killed. He was miles away. He had been in a fight with the Persians earlier, and they had defeated him, and he had pled for mercy, and Cyrus the Great saved his life. So Nabonidus did not die. But historically, what we read in here is actually true. Now, what does, that, what does that have to do with us? It's 2,500 years ago. Who cares? It's a bunch of people that have long since been dead, and all of their stories don't matter. How does it apply to us? I could say the obvious one is don't be prideful. That, that's, a, that's a given coming out of the story. But I think there's more to it than that. Um, I have five applications and hopefully one of them will 
will fit you where you're sitting in the seat today. First one is this one, and it's from um, Psalm 90, what Dickie read this morning. We are to number our days and apply our hearts to wisdom. Meaning means numbered. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought them to an end. And the fact of the matter is, every one of us sitting here have numbered days. Years ago, I, I heard a story of, of someone who estimated how many more weeks they would have in their life if they lived to be whatever it was, 80 years old or whatever. And they took a big jar and they put marbles in it representing how many weeks they had left. And every week they'd pull out a marble. Now that sounds a little morbid, but you know what? The fact of the matter is, is it would be good for us as we see that jar dwindling. Like, whoa. Teach us to number our days so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. If you're sitting here and you're not applying your heart to wisdom and you're not numbering your days, that is a command from Scripture. Teach us to number our days because we don't know how many days we have and we don't know how much wisdom we're going to need, but we need God's wisdom in our lives to live the way Daniel lived and not the way Belshazzar lived. Now, the second, the second application for us, and that applies to everyone. My youngest child, who his only desire right now is to uh, eat most of the time, but as soon as he gets a little more cognizant, he can begin to number his days. But all of us, from the littlest to the oldest, can number our days and give those days back to the Lord. The second one is the obvious one. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and let him exalt you. And all of these are actually, I just, it was actually direct references in Scripture to each one of these points. So that one is 1 Peter 5, um, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in the proper time. It's not up to us to exalt ourselves. And one of the things that, um, for me, has come out of some, some pondering and thinking recently is the realization that life is not about greatness. Life is about ordinary mundaneness lived out in obedience. And we read that. You know, you look at the book of Daniel and you see all these cool stories, right? But then you start looking at the timeline and you realize, well, for 23 years, we don't know if he's heard anything from the Lord. Maybe the last time the Lord spoke to him was with Nebuchadnezzar's um, going through the madness and back out. And suddenly he's called on to come interpret something again. And he's been faithful the whole time, and so therefore he's able to. God speaks again. We don't know. A lot of our lives are lived by just faithfully, day by day, obeying the scriptures, obeying what God has put in front of us. Secondly, to humble ourselves under his hand. By the way, it's easy to say, humble yourself. What does that mean? How do you humble yourself? Can you exalt yourself? Yeah, you can. Put on that resume, make yourself look a little better than you are. Well, I've got to get the job. Man, I've gone to jobs and people have buttered me up. I mean, like, whoa, we heard a lot about you, man. You're really, and I'm thinking to myself, if I mess this one up, I'm in big trouble. It's worse than if they didn't know anything about me because now I'm expected to perform. You can exalt yourself and you can humble yourself in the same way. You can make yourself less. I was over at the Todd yesterday and Kathy said that her dad taught her how to sing. I said, I didn't know you knew how to sing. But she wasn't going around telling me that she knew how to sing. She wasn't going out there exalting herself. Humble yourself and let him exalt you. Verse, or the third point, those who are younger, and this is also in 1 Peter, those who are younger are to 
submit or learn from those who are older. And you see that here. Daniel is 80 years old. Belshazzar is in his 40s. And Nebuchadnezzar is his grandfather. Young people, 14, 13, 19, 24. Um, I know you're terribly smart. And you're wise almost beyond comprehension. I realize that. But let me tell you what you aren't. <clears throat> you aren't experienced yet. You could have explained this to me when I was 20, and I wouldn't have gotten it. And here's why. When you live long enough to see a cycle of life, when you, are li when you live long enough to see the 18-year-old who thinks he knows everything become the 36-year-old who realizes he doesn't know everything, you can look at the 18-year-old and you can say, sorry, 18-year-olds, but I'm going to pick on you young people a little bit. You can say, you can chuckle and you can say, you don't know yet. And then when you're 80, you can look at a 42-year-old and say, I've seen it four times, buddy. You still don't know anything yet. <laughs> so all of us can learn and so experience. And so Brother George gets up here and he shares from his life things that God has done for him and he brings it to us. We have a responsibility to listen to that. Do you hear what I'm saying, young people? Do not think that you got it together yet. You may disagree with us. We may be cranky and grouchy. Maybe it's because we've seen too many generations of you before. I don't know. But listen to your elders. You may disagree with them, but listen politely and give thought to what they have to say. Now, point number four. Older men and women are to be faithful and obedient to the end. Daniel's 80 years old for 23 years. He's had nothing in terms of interaction with the royal court, so far as we know. But he's been faithful for 23 years, doing what God has told him to do. And in that, when he was called on as an 80-year-old, he had the right to speak. So now I will speak to you that are older. If you do not live your life that way, if you say, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm going to walk away from it, I'm tired of it, I don't want to do this anymore, you lose the immoral authority to speak. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's important. Faithfulness is required in a steward. Thank you for being faithful, George. And finally, and this is the one I want to close on, the word of God is trustworthy. Listen to me. This is so under assault. I um, was reading an article this week about uh, young people who, I think it's 23% now, just basically say, even growing up in church, it doesn't make any difference. I don't think that the Bible has the authority to speak. You have no idea what you're talking about yet. At least before you change the course of your life, based on what you think at the moment. Give it a couple of years. Listen to people older and wiser than you. In, in the uh, Old Testament, when Solomon dies and his son Rehoboam takes the stage, Rehoboam has Solomon, his dad's advisors, come to him. And Rehoboam says, how should I govern his people? And the old men say, your dad was too hard on him. Give him a break. And Rehoboam goes to his buddies, the ones that are his age, and he says, how should I govern him? And they said, your dad, make his thigh be like your little finger. You squish him. 
And so he went back to the elders and he said, I'm not going to do what you said. I'm going to go with the guys that are my age. And he lost the kingdom. The kingdom was taken from him because of it. Young people, listen. The word of God is, is trustworthy. It has been proven. And other people can look at you and say, no, it's not true. This is, this is a case in point. In 1853, Belshazzar didn't exist. In 1854, he did. No, he had existed the whole time. We just didn't know it conclusively, except that the Bible said so. And so I'm going to, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live my life based on that. You can make fun of me if you want. When I get old and the world has turned against me and said, people who teach creation are crazy. People who think the Bible is true, actually accurate, are crazy. Go ahead. Throw me in jail. I would rather be the Daniel called on to give a meaning to something than be the Belshazzar who has everything and in the end loses it all. And the only thing we know about Belshazzar now is that his knees knocked together. Fearful. Daniel was courageous. I'd rather be the Daniel 2,500 years from now who didn't have anything in this life than be the Belshazzar who had everything. The Word of God, if, if you leave with nothing else, let this be your, your beef hot dog for the day. The Word of God is trustworthy. Build your life on it. You may be disappointed at times. God will not come through the way you think he should at times. But in the end, it's going to work out all right. I'd like you all to stand. And I want to close with a, with a benediction that, uh, that I had uh, many times when I was growing up that the preachers would, the pastor of the church I was at would close with this uh, with this verse, and I just think it's fantastic, so I want to so close, and then after this we'll be dismissed. The last verse in the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.